Hello, and welcome to Required Reading, a podcast that revisits the most impactful books from our childhood. I'm your host, Erin Bowles. I'm a writer, actor, and maybe other stuff. I don't know. Lillian Stone is our guest today. She's the author of Everybody's Favorite, Tales from the World's Worst Perfectionist, out now from Day Street Books. She's a headline and features contributor for The Onion and a regular old contributor for outlets like The New Yorker, Slate, Mel Magazine, Reductress, and McSweeney's Internet Tendency. Hello, Lillian. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for being here. So very first thing before we jump in, I like to give a little context on the author, the year it came out, and because this book is set in, in such a specific time, a little background on that. So it's set... 18th, oh, our book today, first off, <laughs> is Little House in the Big Woods by Laura Ingalls Wilder. I was so excited you picked this. I've never read it before <gasps> now. What? No, I'd never read it. And it was like, if my mom were to come on this podcast, it's probably what she would do. And I think that's why I didn't read it. I think she Whoa. gave me like all eight of them and was like, here. And I, for that reason, couldn't. So you had never read any of them? None of them. I, oh, like, oh, this is the so parts. exciting. Okay. Yeah. So it takes place in 1871 to 1872. Ulysses S. Grant is president. He's uh, passing a series of enforcement acts designed to protect black people and reconstruction governments. P.T. Barnum opens his three ring circus. Yellowstone becomes the first (laughs) national park. And Victoria Woodhull becomes the first woman nominated for president of the U.S. Laura Ingalls Wilder was born in 1867 in Wisconsin. Her parents are Charles and Caroline Ingalls. She has an older sister named Mary. It's all very autobiographical. They're farmers and they move around, including Missouri, and eventually settle in South Dakota. At age 18, she marries 28-year-old homesteader Almanzo Wilder, and a year later gives birth to their daughter Rose. They have a son later on, but Rose is the only child who survives to adulthood. And they struggle and subsist in South Dakota and uh, settle in Mansfield, Missouri for like decades. They're just trying to get by. We're going to talk about it. (laughs) And in 1911, she starts writing a column for the Missouri Ruralist, and she's also an editor. And in 1915, Rose is outliving her own life, being an adult in San Francisco, and starts working as a writer and editor for the San Francisco Bulletin, writing these like formulaic serials. It's like uh, what Louisa May Alcott did. She becomes the first biographer of Herbert Hoover, and in the late 20s, is one of the highest paid female writers in America. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. And so she's basically, she moves back to Missouri with her parents, and she's basically supporting them. And the Depression hits. It's 1930. And Rose is like, do you want to, you're a writer also, do you want to like try to make some money so we can all have money? So in 1930, Laura approaches Rose with a rough manuscript outlining her childhood. And Rose knows a lot of publishers. She shops it around. Nobody wants it. But one editor says this could be a children's book. So they work on that. And the result is Little House in the Big Woods. It's accepted by Harper and Brothers in late 1931. And am I wrong? Day Street is an imprint of Harper Collins, right? Yes, correct. I thought that was so cool. I was really yeah, tickled by that. Well. <laughs> <laughs> My literary sister. Yeah comes out in 1932 it's really successful it has a whole series and the authorship is a little bit debated between like what did Laura write what did Rose write who was editing but it's all one story in the end and so yeah. it comes out 32 very last bit of context it's the depression the Lindbergh baby is kidnapped Nazis are becoming the largest party in the Reichstag Hindenburg begins negotiations with Hitler about forming a new government FDR defeats Hoover in a landslide victory, and the character of Goofy is introduced. Whoa, I've got a huge <laughs> year. <laughs> I know. I, 
this is the fourth episode I've recorded and I have learned that we can't end on a downer. We can't, no. the last thing can't be OJ Simpson is declared not guilty. <laughs> right. Also worth unpacking that the Lindbergh baby is kidnapped the same year that Goofy's introduced. I feel oh. that there's got to be some sort of spiritual connection there. Oh my gosh. What is your story with this book? How did it come to you? I tried so hard to remember because I knew you were going to ask that. And I, my best guess, because I read it when I was very, very young, is that my, we had a, a woman who lived across the street who was like a homeschool mom. She was incredibly wholesome. She was like probably an early homesteader in a, in hopefully a non-problematic way. But I am fairly positive that I borrowed it from her daughter and then I got my own copy because I was so enthralled with it. So a little bit of background of where I'm from. I'm from um, Springfield, Missouri, which is near the Missouri-Arkansas border. It's in like the southwest part of the state. And we are like an hour away from Mansfield, Missouri, which is okay. where Laura Ingalls and Almanzo made their their life together. And so yeah. that the Laura Ingalls Wilder heritage is huge here. Um, her house is still there. They have uh, like an annual festival where they celebrate her life and her books. So oh it's it's a pretty huge claim to fame for Missouri. A lot of people come here to see where she lived. And so I think that that was delivered to me by osmosis, although I don't think that I ever got to go on a field trip to her house, which sucks, but I'm a big fan. I also, at the same time, was raised in... Uh, kind of like a rural suburb. So we we're, we're not out in the country, but I wanted to be a country girl so desperately. <laughs> and so this book really appealed to me as like an adventurous young gal, uh, which we will get into. <laughs> it's so wholesome. Like you were yes. describing your neighbor. One of the big questions that kept happening to me is like, why does this book endure, you know, 190 years on? The first thing I noticed, and I think maybe this is just something I've been, you know, ruminating on in, in my own life. She starts the book by describing like all the danger around them, the wolves, the cold, and it is completely safe in the house. There is such a definite sense of safety. And I've been thinking a lot about like, if you don't have a sense of safety when you're young, if you don't think you can rely on your parents, that's going to mess you up a lot. It just kept coming back and back and back about like, how safe they feel in this house and it's it's not that there is like no conflict in the books but if you're doing like a a save the cat kind of thing it's like it's man versus nature and you're just trying to survive but it's it's I really loved it and I really I've had it like a very a very big sense of calm and like yes 100 percent 100 percent and yeah like you said there's a scene like a very famous scene where uh her mom goes outside to to get a cow into the into the pasture and it's a bear and then there are wolves howling around the house later that winter and they feel so safe and tidy whereas like if wolves are howling around my house I would be I don't know. I uh, probably just die on the spot out of fright. Yeah. I'm certainly not going to call the cops. I like don't know what I would do. <laughs> so uh, yeah, it's just like this little anecdote in her childhood, like that one time that we were surrounded by predators, <laughs> but yeah. we still felt totally safe. And her mom in that story slaps the bear, not, yes, just, yes. Like, not just being near, fully slaps it, which is there more information about Ma as the books are, go on? Because I was, I had so many questions about Ma and was so fascinated by her. 
there is, yeah, there's definitely more Ma. Um, something that's really interesting as the books go on, there are, I think, two that I have not read because they were the ones that were about boys and I didn't care yes, about, about that. I, oh, Monzo? Um, yes, about his upbringing. I never <laughs> read that one because I was like, whatever. Um, but Ma's character is really interesting because the books do get into the hardships that the family has faced because they move in like every book to like a, a different corner of the country. So they're always on the move, like just trying to make it. But I actually pulled up this quote um, that I yeah. mistakenly thought was in uh, Little House in the Big Woods. And the whole time that I was reading it, I was like looking for it, looking for it. And then I realized that it's actually in Little House uh, on the Prairie or maybe a little town on the Prairie, but it's in like a later book. And it's Ma is talking to Laura and she goes, what your figure will be, goodness knows, because Laura's like eating snacks, like doing some normal behavior. And she says, when I was married, your pa could span my waist with his two hands, which is psycho. But it's, I love it so much because Laura just says he can't now. <laughs> Dear Lord. That, it comes up multiple times, which is so wild to me. Um, I think that it, it, it is mentioned around the maple syrup candy making yeah. part, <laughs> which is which really is magical. So yeah. yeah. I didn't expect to be so affected by like the doll mini narrative going on. Yes, so, Charlotte. Yeah. So in the beginning... <laughs> Mary, the older sister, has a real doll, and Laura just has a corn husk doll named Susan. And <laughs> the the real doll is named Nettie. And there was a line, sometimes Mary let Laura hold Nettie, but she did it only when Susan couldn't see. I felt like crying. <laughs> <laughs> to be clear, Susan doesn't have eyes. Susan She's is like corn. corn. <laughs> She's made of corn. <laughs> Let's be crystal clear about that. Um Yes, that is also so funny because they are not that far apart in age. No. Mary is like two years older than Laura, maybe. Mm -hmm. And it's so funny that parents are like, youngest girl gets only corn. <laughs> That's a vibe. <laughs> like, I was really surprised later. Like, in one of the last chapters, they go to town and this, like, huge bubble of resentment comes up that felt like it was out of nowhere for, for between Laura and Mary. But this this makes sense for resentment that you get leftovers for your doll. Do you are you a younger sibling? Do you have younger siblings? I'm an only child. Ah, so okay. It's just me. Yes. So I'm the oldest of three, and mm. I feel like that is a very real phenomenon. Like the hand me downs, and like yeah. my parents, my parents famously have like four photo albums of like the first two years of my life, and my sister has like one picture of her like with crazy hair. And that's, yep. that's all. <laughs> She would have had the corn girl. <laughs> I don't know if it's, you know, Laura Ingalls' memory, but the, like, the intense relationship between her and Pa was, like, it, it felt familiar to me. Like, I'm really close with my dad, but it was also, like, this is going to upset other people. How do, how do Mary and Ma feel about this? Because this, this yeah. is really intense. It yeah. is really... Um her relationship with her family is so clear I think in the book mm -hmm. and I, I remember seeing this snippet that in the book she's like age four to five but in in real life the timeline that this was happening and she was three and mm -hmm. I think that she sent the book into the publisher I don't know if you saw this and they made her change it because they said there was no way a three-year-old remembered like the depth of those family uh dynamics which is so interesting because that's yeah. a question that I've gotten a lot about my book too like how mm -hmm. do you remember how you felt about this thing when you were eight and I I think you kind of just sometimes do. <laughs> yeah. And that was something I think like something that 
really blew my mind in thinking about this book was like, the world is as big as your house and the population of the world is your siblings and your parents and maybe some cousins. And when they talked about cousins or grandpa, they still live in the big woods, capital D, capital W, which I love. <laughs> but like, there, that the woods seem infinite to her was, was, I was thinking like, if you have a great family, awesome. Really weird and bad. If you don't, then, then really? it's just you and the bears. It's just yeah. you and the bears and your dad like molding bullets by the fireside. Throughout this, I was looking for, you know, echoes of my mom. And while they were doing that, I was like, oh, my mom does love to say that she learned how to make shotgun shells before she learned how to read. So um, was she, she was raised in Kentucky, right? Your mom? Yeah. Both my parents were. My dad was in Lexington and my mom was in Paducah, way out by the river. Um, ah, cool. Which I don't know if you do you know anything about Paducah. I've never been to Paducah, yeah. no. <laughs> well, it's quilt capital of the world. Oh, whoa. I think Dippin' Dots were invented there. That's amazing. <laughs> it's right on the Mississippi River. But I, I do love that small town feel, especially like I went, I grew up in the suburbs in Maryland, but I went to high school, like way out in the, the agricultural reserve. Oh, cool. And, and you know, I'm, I'm on Welcome to Flatch, which is all about a small town. And I think that the smaller the group is, the more complicated the dynamics get. Yeah, definitely. She says, but the best time of all was at night when Pa came home, which I remember doing a lot. My dad worked like on the other side of DC. So I had a long commute, a lot of traffic. And I remember just so much just like sitting and waiting and waiting. And oh, waiting and that's waiting. so sweet. <laughs> that's so sweet. Did your dad also play the fiddle by the fire at night? No, but my, so both my parents met in a community band, which is oh my gosh. like, which is not like rock band. It's like marching band sitting down. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I had to like learn how to describe that for other kids when I was young. Cause That's nobody so <laughs> cool. What did they play? Yeah. My dad plays bassoon and my mom plays flute and piccolo. It's so funny to think about you guys sitting by firelight while your dad cranks out the bassoon. That's a really funny picture. <laughs> my, yes, like the um papa. My dad is also musical. Um, he picked up guitar at the age of like fifty three, wow. and he's in his mid sixties now. And he's in a, a like a kind of a dad band, like an old man band. But he strums his guitar nonstop. I'm visiting them right now, mm -hmm. and that uh, we were watching a movie last night and he was I had to be like please stop strumming guitar <laughs> we do go to his concerts but he loves to play hard rock and classic rock and so it's not quite the tranquil vibes of yeah. Little House in the Big Woods <laughs> did you have um something that I want to touch on in this book is, yeah. is the, the sugar snow in the, in the winter but I'm curious yeah. from if you have um when you were a kid was there a season that was like most memorable to you like were you like a summer girl or was it the holidays what was it I think for me it was the holidays because we like everyone's birthdays clumped up in there I'm December 6th which I think is enough distance for me to really enjoy Christmas mm -hmm. my dad is Christmas Eve my grandmother is the day before is the 23rd and my mom is January 3rd so Whoa. it's all right there and it which is weird looking back on it because my dad does not like his birthday. He does not like the holidays at all. So why was I so chipper? <laughs> what about you? I think for me, it was summertime. I am much older than both of my siblings and mm -hmm. summers. I was pretty much 
uh, uh, babysitting was the whole, was the summer for me. But we also were like a Midwestern baseball family, which is a a very uh, unique culture. And so from the time that my brother was old enough to like hit a ball, we spent most summer weekends traveling for his baseball tournaments, which at the time I hated, obviously. But now I wish I could go back because like an opportunity to tan your legs and read a book while you listen to like 10 year old boys scream at each other. Like that sounds, that's amazing. I did not know what I had. So I think that that's like where the core of our family memories are. We're like summer baseball weekends. Yeah. Wow. The core memories I have from summer are like sitting in my basement, uh, like doing <laughs> yeah. math packets. It's like being very happy. It's like Whoa. it's cool down there, but that's my core memory. I that's was like, cool. my mom's whole side of the family is very much like we're defining ourselves by academic success. And that's, that's the family thing. <laughs> Got it. I had a, a note about the Jack Frost images and, and there it's like, I don't, I don't want to like mess up or do anything to Jack Frost's images, but just going to treasure those and leave them there. I thought that was so cute. Yes. The ones that he painted on the windows. Yeah. Mean. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So for those who are not familiar, there's like this belief that little teeny Jack Frost comes through with like a little paintbrush and like paints things on the, on the ice and the snow, which is so, uh, so romantic. Yeah. I think she writes about like childlike belief in a really wonderful way yeah. too, um, that I still enjoyed like reading this as an adult, mm-hmm. but okay. Let's talk about sugar snow. So I, okay. I pulled up this passage, um, they they call it a sugar snow when men can make more sugar sugar only for men not for girls uh, as a result of a cold spell creating a longer run of sap in the in the trees so they go visit their grandpa to harvest the sap and there is a dance which sounds incredible as yeah, well it sounds so fun yeah yeah and then they make this like maple syrup candy where they like i think pour the hot sap until it hardens and it forms these little candies um and I think that's when um, everybody's like, Ma, you used to be so skinny. Like, what's up, girl? <laughs> and there's a moment where we don't know if, if there's going to be enough for everyone. And then there is. And there's always enough for everyone. And nobody is left out. And it just, it felt like, oh, Hannah means family. It felt <laughs> so comforting. And it's so, so comforting. And, yeah. it, and everybody in the family gets along. There's mm-hmm. never like a scuffle. Uh, I think that there is a summertime scuffle between Laura and Mary and uh, Laura gets a whipping but that's that's yeah. not that's far in the future <laughs> yeah everyone loves each other and everyone has a purpose which I think is is maybe a benefit to being a homesteader is like you know your value because it's it's that I milk the cows or <laughs> I do this like it's a really concrete thing that you bring to the table the next note I had was that was again on this thing of fear I think I'm in a well, I don't know am I in a place or is it like a really big topic in this book yeah, I, I think that in the series as a whole like uncertainty is a huge mm-hmm. theme because again like they are going from like Wisconsin to south to Kansas and then back up north to South Dakota or North Dakota mm-hmm. and then over to Missouri and these are like huge like yeah. multi-month travel expeditions and there's um you know illness strikes the family and and there's tragedy later on in the series and I think that like uncertainty and the spirit of like frontiersmanship and exploration Mm -hmm. is a huge theme but also when you're little when you're like four and five everything is unknown um and everything is scary but I do I think that it's true what you said that like everything in the house is safe and also Laura feels so safe and like held by her family Mm -hmm. that she doesn't fully grasp the gravity of like having wolves outside (laughs) because she's like we're cool like dad Mm -hmm. is playing the fiddle mom is the skinniest lady in the county (laughs) like we're 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 solid yeah they even I pulled 
out a quote. They're playing Mad Dog and they're telling stories about Panthers. And there's a quote. Yeah. Laura and Mary loved to be scared like that. And I was like, (laughs) it's so it's the next thing I have is like they were comfortable and happy there, especially at night. I think. Okay, so this is how this is how I am. I write about this in my book, too, where I am. A huge scaredy cat in real life. I'm specifically really scared of sharks and like big fish. That's like my biggest fear on earth. And I love movies about sharks and like scary ocean adventures and uh, just like horror in general, even though I am like truly the biggest scaredy cat ever, because as long as I am like in my little house, safe in my little house, nothing can get to me. And the shark is on the screen. That Panther reference is so so Missouri, even though it, this this book does not take place in Missouri, but that is like like having like bobcats outside screaming is like such a nice. such an Ozarks vibe. Wow, man! Because I was wondering about that, but it's hilarious you bring up sharks. I like twenty minutes before we started recording this, I finished watching Deep Blue Sea for the first time. Huge! Oh my god, I actually have a date with myself to rewatch The Meg in like two days because The Meg mm-hmm. Two, The Meg Two tomorrow? is coming out. Yeah, no, it's coming out tomorrow, and I will be uh, I will be there with bells on first in line. I'm so excited. I also love Jaws. Jaws is what I, like every phase of my life, I get like a new movie that we have to rewatch on the 4th of July and it just keeps getting longer and longer. What was Uh, this year's? It was Jaws first and then, now I have to look it up because. Yeah, I got it now. Yeah, oh here. We started the day off with the Marx Brothers Horse Feathers. Whoa, okay. Um, I think my boyfriend just like opened TCM because I love TCM and just put on the first thing. And it was cool because I was like, oh, this starlet mysteriously died. Do you know about this? And I left to shower and I came back and he was like, she didn't mysteriously die. Like they they had an answer. And we started debating. Oh no, how'd she die? So her name is Thelma Todd. She is like found hunched over in her car, in her car garage. And it's ruled carbon monoxide poisoning. But I say that's bullshit because, first off, her boyfriend is a mobster. And earlier, like, that week was like, I'm going to kill you. She owned a restaurant, like, in front of everyone in this restaurant. And she was a car girly. She worked on cars. She would have known about this. And there were PSAs all over the place about carbon monoxide poisoning. Okay, well, let me just say, that would have never happened in the little house in the big woods. (laughs) They only had... Horses. (laughs) But the the 4th of July this year was Horse Feathers, The Meg, and Stargate for the first time. Wow, that's a really spectacular lineup. That's really good. (laughs) It was. It was a really good 4th of July. All of my quotes, I'm realizing, are the same thing. But Laura and Mary listened to that lonely sound in the dark and cold of the big woods, and they were not afraid. Doesn't that sound amazing to do that with your, like, oh my gosh, I don't know. I especially like these last few weeks have been so overly plugged in. Mm -hmm. Reading this book was like such a balm. And I was also like, we should get rid of the internet. Yes. (laughs) It, I've had to delete a lot of social media from my phone. Partly because it's making me sad, and also partly it's like some thoughts can just stay inside, and totally. I need to learn that again. Yes, <laughs> and not. also, I mean, girls, girls should milk cows. I think yeah. is another lesson we can learn. When I was in maybe elementary or middle school, or maybe high school, you had to get a certain amount of like volunteer hours to graduate high school, and so I was in Girl Scouts, so they took us to a horse farm and I miss the days of shoveling shit I really do (laughs) so I also volunteered on a horse farm when I was younger um when I was in the fourth grade my mom pulled me out of school in an attempt to homeschool me for a year which was like a really bad idea (laughs) 
<laughs> I was like my lost year. Like I did not learn anything, but I went and volunteered at this ranch, like with this program for homeschool kids. And I also miss shoveling shit. Like what a satisfying uh, sensation. Yeah, there is. I think especially because like we're, we're both in the arts and writing just, just takes forever. Even when like when I was on Flatch, it took a full year for the first season to come out. Yeah. There, and and shoveling horseshit, I moved stuff from over here to over here. And it's so <laughs> physical and I can do it and it's in my body and I can point to it. And it's just there there's very much something to be said for that, I think. Yes, one hundred percent. And yeah, it is like immediate progress. I think it's why mm-hmm. I love watching Love Island when I'm working on longer editorial projects, because you know somebody's getting dumped from the island and then in a day. Like there will be a sense of finality. Not only there's a finality, but also like there's things moving. Things were progressing towards something in the end. Yeah, that's so true. Wow. We got to talk about the pig bladder, assuming that this is on your list. So Mm -hmm. for readers who are not familiar, obviously no internet, baby, no TV, uh, only a corn for a doll. So not a lot of entertainment. (laughs) There's this really evocative scene. And I don't know if your version of the book was illustrated, but I might find pictures. And there's this really wonderful picture of them during the meat harvest, like the butcher season, they use up every part of the pig. And the dad puts the bladder in the smokehouse, I believe, to dry it out the, to get the blood and guts off of it. And then the girls get to blow it up like a little balloon. So there's this wonderful picture of them blowing up the bladder and slapping it around like a little goddamn hacky sack. Um, and that and was like a huge thing. And it's like the first or second chapter in the book. Yeah. It's really early on. And then yeah. they like there's a whole thing about like who's gonna get to eat the pig's tail who's gonna get yes. to eat the pig's tail it's a huge Which, thing like girls gross but it yeah. is also like when I was a kid I um we were definitely not like a fancy family by any means and we would usually eat like the same couple meals pretty yeah. like in rotation it's like yeah. classic like we you know there were a lot of kids running around and we had like taco soup and bread um and I always wanted like ham and be- on ham and beans night and reading Little House on the Prairie while eating ham and beans. Like, can you imagine anything more glamorous than that? I just like felt like the coziest I would have ever felt in my life. And like at the same time, when I was eating ham and beans with like tons of ketchup on it, obviously, I would be like, This is what she ate. (laughs) I'm just like her. I'm just like her. But in like they certainly didn't have spices. (laughs) Their (laughs) ham and beans tasted so bad. Uh, all that food tasted bad even the maple candy but at the time I was like I want to go back so bad like I was born in the wrong era (laughs) and one thing I appreciate about this book you brought up the smokehouse I feel like I could build a smokehouse now she's like very informative and specific just in case you need this which I like I really appreciate little women I like I unfairly compare it to little women which is like they're published at very different times whatever but Love that book. They did not teach me how to build a smokehouse. They no, did not those... teach me what a pig's bladder looks like. Love those girls. Love them, but they were a little prissy, all mm-hmm. of them. And Laura is anything but prissy. She is out here knocking the bladder around. She's talking to a little thing of corn like it's a baby. Uh, it's it's a whole thing. Yeah. Okay. That's so funny you say that because I feel like I personally have a sickness where I think that I could be a homesteader if I had to. Like if like it, my parents' house just lost power for two days, 48 hours. And I was like, if this goes on much longer, I'm going to have to build us a new house. Like, and I think I could. <laughs> like, I think I I could make a life in the woods when I like objectively I absolutely could not. But I'm like, yeah, I could build a smokehouse, yeah. like no problem. And I think like again, the degree of safety is what part of part of that mentality of like 
well pause there like yeah he's not gonna be there but I feel like he's there he's he always gets him on the first shot he always gets him on that that's yes and he you know he he saves the pigs from the bears and Mm -hmm. that's so funny that you say about the smokehouse instructions (laughs) I've never thought about that but yeah we could build a smokehouse in LA and the illustrations you mentioned I I did a little digging like they the original ones were done by a woman and they were like they looked like woodcut blocks they were pretty simple and then I think in the 50s a guy came in and did a lot more and those were the ones I saw with the the bladder which is like gray and I really liked them because this is the fourth episode I've done. Three of them have been illustrated. Bad Case of Stripes, this one, and Cupid Doesn't Flip Hamburgers. Oh, and yeah. the whole time I've been dealing with this, like, how how realistic the drawings look. Because my guest was very frightened of Bad Case of Stripes. Because it <laughs> looks really, really real. Yeah, that book and, is incredible. Wow. Yeah, um, episode two, watch for it. And <laughs> this illustration it's not like a kid could do it but like a really talented high schooler could do it yeah and it's it's a, it's that level of distance that I think brings comfort because like there's a story early on where like you said Pa saves the pigs from the bear and there's an illustration where the bear is holding a pig just like to yeah. its belly and it's like oh me and it looks that, so innocent that's one of my favorites in the whole book oh my gosh I, okay I it also must be said that like I think the illustrations in the, in the newer version do a really good job of communicating how Laura feels compared to her big sister yeah. because Mary is like she has like long wavy blonde hair and Laura has like short and stick straight hair that's like always kind of like sticking up in weird directions and Mary is like clearly the beauty of the family um and there's also a, a tragedy befalls Mary I don't know mm-hmm. what I know no spoilers you can um, spoil it it's okay <laughs> okay but yeah but but later in the series um cholera strikes the family I, I think it, or it's maybe it's scarlet fever but uh, a bad disease strikes the family and Mary is left um blind she it it takes her sight from her and it's this very tragic thing and uh laura has to like go to work as a teacher so that they can have the money to send mary to a special school for um people with vision impairments and it's it's a really weird relationship between the two of them oh man I want to read the whole series anyway, but especially for that. And in the last couple chapters, they go to town and Laura starts, she's talked about their hair, that Mary has these golden ringlets and the phrase that Laura always uses is dirt brown for her hair. (laughs) And this conflict really comes up when they go to town. But again, this was like my mom's favorite book. One of the weird things I've noticed in my mom my whole life is she's like, there are blondes and there are brunettes and the blondes are bitches and they're <laughs> cheerleaders and they're mean and they're stupid and brunettes are maligned and smart and we read books and we're shy when Wait, I was but a brunette. Erin, you have red hair. Where I, do you, where do you well, fit in that? Yeah, where do I fit in? Um, because I always thought I had brown hair and then I got to college and people were like, what are you saying? You're a blonde. <laughs> <laughs> but in my baby photos, it's kind of red. And so the whole time my mom, I think, was just like, just glad I didn't get her hair. Like she would take me to the hairdressers and the hairdresser would be like, this is not your hair. This is your husband's hair. This is not yours. Oh my gosh. So she's a brunette. (laughs) She's a brunette. She, like, there were some years where she was dying at blonde. But the first time I really noticed it was when Elizabeth Holmes was popping off. Because my mom got so angry at Elizabeth Holmes because she was like, she's blonde and she's getting all these men to give her money. Oh my God. Mom, she's using the system for her benefit. She is using these men's prejudices. Like I, Elizabeth Holmes is a pet fascination for me. I think she's 
But I and I wondered if this is where it came from. This that is so interesting. In I'm trying to think of like comparative texts. I was a big fan of the Ramona books, also mm-hmm. Ramona and Beesus. I think Beesus also had brown hair, but I remember Ramona describing her own hair as like dishwater brown or like some like derogatory brown. Yeah, what was with that? I feel like yeah. that rocks one of our best hair colors for sure. Yeah. So at one point there is a chapter all about Sundays. And Pa says that it used to be that girls have to be prim and proper every day, not just Sunday. And it was harder for little girls before. Yeah, I I don't need to read the quote. Um, I just said that. (laughs) I'm really enjoying doing this podcast and this book during the summer of Barbie, the summer of girlhood. It's looking back, we're in a better place in terms of beauty standards than before. But the beauty standards are so surprisingly narrow. Like every time you look back, they get even more narrow than you remember in that brown hair is not even right. And (laughs) you have to, your husband has to fit his hands around your waist. It just keeps going and getting weirder and more specific. No, these like wildly rigid expectations of femininity. Yeah, that's so crazy. And I do feel like they still, we are lucky, like we both live in like big cities and I live in Chicago and like um progressive communities but sometimes I am reminded that like there are still so many people out there who feel that way it's crazy we were talking about the illustrations I love them they're like they're tactile in a way like I want to hug them yeah and there's a there's a lot of storytelling which I found interesting in this book like as a form of entertainment what else are you gonna do but there's at least in my book they're talking about uh pa walking home and he he hears this voice and doesn't know who it is and in my book the the book shows you an owl illustration before it is revealed in the text oh that's really interesting okay so like even and maybe this is like because i read an ebook version who knows but like even the book is telling you like look it's an owl it's okay it's okay it's yeah there's there's nothing to fear and there's There's enough for everyone at one point, Pa says, if you'll do as you're told, no harm will come to you. Wow. That is, yeah. I, I really believed that for a long yeah. time. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know about you, but I was uh, I was raised in the church, in the evangelical church. Mm-hmm. And that is definitely um, kind of a message that if you like are solid as a rock and you do everything you're supposed to mm-hmm. in church and out of church, then you're going to be A-OK all the time, which yeah. uh, I got to tell you, <laughs> that's not how it goes. That's not how it goes. Well, and it's interesting that religion plays such a small part in this book. Like they yeah. they only talk about church in one chapter, and it's not even really about worship or prayer or God. It's just part of the habit and the ritual. Um, yeah. And, and the I was not raised in the church, but I'm fascinated by it. I think because yeah. I was raised outside of it, and. I think I'm really fascinated by it mostly because like faith is just a thing that's so foreign to me. Yeah. But I was reading that chapter and I was like, why does God have to be joyless? Why does God have to be observed by us sitting and not having fun? Doesn't God love children laughter? That was the thing. I was like, why is this happening? Why? I think God loves us. I love that. (laughs) There's, I, I, of the friends that I have that were raised in more fundamentalist churches, Mm -hmm. which there are quite a few um, in in my hometown, I have some friends who are raised like, like homeschooled full time for Mm -hmm. all of their school. And these books are a really popular curriculum with with those folks um they don't touch super strictly on faith but I think that they play into um those same beliefs that like you 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 know you honor your father and mother or you get a spanking uh you uh kind of know your place in in the household you're quiet and respectful on Sundays and and you obey um which is 
really interesting that it's yeah I, it is really surprising that faith is like not touched on more in the books and on the the obedience because i think that's like now we're talking about church but i think like yeah. the, the goal is is less to be a good person and more to be an obedient person yeah. and i think they only touch on it briefly but i think like the kids aren't even allowed to speak at the dinner table which yeah. is is such a little throwaway detail and yet that's got to mess with your mind. That's, that, <laughs> yeah, that's I do. I do wonder if it's different because these are girls too. I don't Ooh. know enough about the the um, the practices of the era to know if, if little boys would have been allowed to talk at the table. I suspect that maybe all children were meant to be seen and not heard. Yeah. But I am I am still curious about that. I cried when Laura got her doll at Christmas. Yeah, Just, Charlotte. I cried. <laughs> I fully cried. It's a huge but moment. It is. And it's like, again, like I didn't think I would care. And I cared so much. Yeah. Uh, but we touched on it earlier. Laura is is sort of, as an adult, no holds barred in terms of talking about her family of like, this is yeah. exactly who we were. And you touched on it. You, I mean, you write about your own life, like how... I have so many questions about like, how does this book play into that? But also like, how do you like, I've written about my parents, but it hasn't been produced. And like in this podcast, I'm sort of deciding like, what, what do I want to put out there? And what do I want to keep to myself? Um, and I was sort of like, how, how do you make those decisions for yourself? How do you make yeah. those? Yeah. I mostly asked. Um, I have a really good relationship with my family. It hasn't always been that way. And so I think I'm pretty protective of that um, yeah. now, now that we have like healed a lot of that. Um, my parents are also both pretty open books. My dad is like so gross and he loves like really crass jokes. And so I like called him to ask if he was okay with me, including this like detail about like his butt in a book. And he was like, yeah, absolutely. He like shows it to all of his friends. He loves that. So he's easy. My mom is a little bit more guarded. Um, and there is one funny story in, in my my book that she is not happy uh, that I included and so I think if I could go back I probably would have taken that out just to respect her privacy <laughs> um but I am kind of of the mindset that like right now at this point in my life it is not as as worth it to me to air as much about my family in a, in a public setting um that might change when I uh, am a little older or when I am my parents are no longer around but I um yeah, it, it just wasn't worth it to me. And same goes for my community as well. Like I uh, have a really strong relationship with where I was raised in Missouri. And it's obviously a really complicated part of the country, mm -hmm. socially and politically. And I tried really, really hard to explore that in a way that uh, was never exploitative of the area. That's really important to me. Uh, I'm working on another book project as well about American folklore. And it's so important oh. to me to, to be super respectful. Mm -hmm. Um of that. So yeah, I guess like I am an open book about myself. And in some ways that requires me being open about like my family and the circumstances mm -hmm. under which I was raised. But I, my parents are really proud of the book. Mm -hmm. they, they, you know, they're, they're proud of me and uh, we're having a hometown release event tomorrow. And oh a lot of gosh. their like older friends are coming and like my mom does nails for a living and a lot of her like old lady nail clients are coming and I would never ever want those people to read the book and be like wow like Lillian shit on her family mm -hmm. <laughs> um that's just not where I'm at right now did your parents grow up uh where you grew up or do no. you like mm -hmm. um so my mom's whole family is is Ozark's based for the most part she has some family in like the northern part of the state but where that's like where the roots are and then my dad is from texas um so he's very texan and he has mm -hmm. a lot of family in oklahoma still okay. most of his family's moved on from texas but um yeah so the south and the ozarks is yeah. still like the home region for both of them nice. i love that you're protective of your family and your community yeah. I, that's so that's so special 
I love totally. that very much. Yeah, it's important to me. Even for my siblings, both of my siblings are quite a bit younger and they don't come up in the book very much. And that was intentional um, just because they are still like very, very young adults. And I want them to be able to um, explore that privately until they get a little older. And then I can say whatever I want when they're in their 30s <laughs> and 40s. Nothing is safe. <laughs> I think that was some of the things that in my the little research I did that like spurred Laura to write about it was that I think her mom passed and my cat just woke up from a nap and he has to announce it. Good morning, brother. Hi. Oh, listen to him. <laughs> Are you going to open my keyboard? Wait, what's his name? Texas Toast. Oh my God. <laughs> I have a cat named Tuesday. Uh, she is uh, back up in Chicago, but I miss her very much. And what is your dog's name? Your beagle. I, could, I, I was ha- trying to Archie. remember this morning. Archie. Yes, Archie the beagle. He and Tuesday are like casual acquaintances. They just kind of like go around each other yeah Yeah, exactly (laughs) the next thing I have on my list again is about Ma is that there's so little about her the only thing that I found that was like specific backstory was Ma had been very fashionable before she married Pa yeah what happened (laughs) after she married Pa it was like she was fashionable she had the world's tiniest waist in a way that made her worrisome and breakable like what what uh what did Pa do to her (laughs) yeah and they're also she knows a lot about the moon surprisingly she knows that like she knows what's up there which I'm not (laughs) saying she's delusional I'm saying she has some learning to her. She's informed. She's she's yeah. astrologically informed. Um, <laughs> I do get the idea from the book that that Ma was like kind of like the picture of refinement, which could be mm-hmm. just like how we see our moms when we're little girls sometimes. But it it does kind of it's kind of like uh, Paul came along and like swept her off her feet, and now she's like out here slapping bears. Yeah, and there's she's so barely there in the books. Yeah. Like there she's there, in a, and I. I think relationships between mothers and daughters are are one of the most complicated out there. And it's like, obviously they're children's books, but that, and with Pa being so close with Laura, fascinating. Fascinating. That's all I have to say. It is. Yeah, it is. And they touch on Uncle George, who was wild since he came back from the war. Oh, which is that is, I'm so glad you brought that up. Yeah. I forgot to write that down. Um, when I read this as a kid, I have a really distinct memory because I think there is a picture of Uncle George with a big beard, mm-hmm. if I remember correctly. And I took wild to me like like that was like a fun thing. Like he came back oh. from the war <laughs> and he was wild. When I was a kid, I was like, everybody has a fun, like he's like crazy uncle. Like he's out, he's like dancing on the table, he's like got these big boots, he's like this larger than life character. And rereading it now as an adult, I was like, that's not what that meant at yeah. all. Like, he was obviously – and I, it, the Civil War, I'm assuming, mm-hmm. um, obviously did not – it was obviously deeply traumatized. Hey, know. Texas Toast! What is he doing? Stop it. <laughs> um, I don't know even what that was. What was that? Oh, it was a picture frame. He didn't like that picture. Uh, <laughs> he doesn't like when he's not the center of attention. That's how Tuesday is, too. It's okay. Yeah. I understand. <laughs> He seems very traumatized. He's still wearing his yeah. uniform. He plays the bugle every morning. Yeah. Uh, and I I looked it up because I was like, we have to know about this. I mean, Charles had a brother named George who I think would have been way too young to be in the army. Mm-hmm. Or like there might have been – was it in the book that they said he like ran away to be like a little fife boy? Where am I going to remember? A little spice boy? <laughs> I don't remember. Um, so you looked up like their actual family lineage. Yeah, I looked up 
like what's up with George, George Ingalls. And it seemed like George was kind of a normal guy, which makes me wonder why he included it. That's really interesting. I wonder if it was some sort of like reference to like a neighbor or another Mm -hmm. family member that she wanted with an identity like she wanted to protect. I don't know. But yeah, that was that was so striking to me this last read. Um, cause it's so different than the way that I remember it. I remember yeah. her just having like a really kooky uncle who was like an awesome time and it's like, oh no, he's deeply traumatized and like yeah. not okay. And I'm thinking yeah. it's like, it's thirties. We've gone through the first world war and she's an adult now with, but I wonder if great, my cat is standing on the keyboard. Texas toast. He was being so good all morning. He's so handsome. I <laughs> he love really, him. We used to live in South LA and there were just so many cats just wandering around. And oh. this one came into our yard and didn't leave and, and so, that's him and that's, that's a, where he came from oh congratulations texas toast yeah and his name just came from like every <laughs> we had like a cat flap in the window and every time my boyfriend talked about him he would just say like a different noun um <laughs> and that was the one that stuck that's he'll really be like good. button came here's mop here's clip um, here's, mop. here's clip is there anything more that we want to touch on with the the syrup and the dance? Because I I loved that section. It was so yeah. sweet. I think that it reading it now, um, I have this thing where I think that it's maybe just like me being a tomboy at heart. But ever since I was a little kid, I've like never felt super comfortable, um, like really dressed up. I feel really comfy in like a sweatshirt and overalls and a jeans. That's when I feel like the cutest. And especially if I'm like out at you know at the at the river or like canoeing and like a little one-piece swimsuit like I feel the most like feminine and like in touch with my body in that state and this scene really reminded me of that because it you know she talks about like the beautiful women but they were wearing like a shawl like they were wearing like their like special crocheted shawl um and I just remember thinking that they must have been like the prettiest girls ever when I was reading this as a little girl um it made me feel really in touch with that just like that um I don't know, I guess more like down home kind of yeah. femininity. <laughs> That's, I don't know. Um, yeah. That just reminded me of that. But yeah, doesn't that sound like the coolest night? Yes. It's, <laughs> everyone is in grandma's house in like yeah. one room. Every, all, all of the babies are on grandma's bed, just yeah. shoving up against <laughs> each other. That part's so funny. Yeah, it says, <laughs> I don't think that they're like bundled or like swaddled or anything. They're just like on the bed. Just on the bed. And Laura and her cousin, also named Laura, are arguing <laughs> about which baby is cuter. Yeah. Uh, which is like, how, how wholesome can you get? <laughs> It is a cold time of year, but it is warm inside. Everyone has enough sugar. There is dancing. Even George with maybe a shadowy background of trauma is still dancing. It's like still super fun. It's still like the light of you know the life of the party yeah it's also community which is i something i've really been longing for and i think that like when you are an only child that you really long for and that like everyone's here everyone in the world that matters is here and we're all having a good time and And you can like depend on them also like Mm -hmm. there's that scene i think when they when it's harvest time and dad just like somehow finds a bunch of men that have like threshing equipment and that really struck me because I was like I don't know it does seem like a very like neighborly community driven situation in the big woods that they were just like driving by with newfangled machinery yeah and offered to help (laughs) my favorite thing about the the spring season is when cousin Charlie gets 
stung by a whole bunch of bees because yeah. the illustration is the funniest thing I've ever seen in my life. When he's like, Bleh. Yeah, well, no, when he's all wrapped up. And they're, they're like, you're covered head to toe in bee stings. We're going to roll you in mud and then wrap you up so only your little mouth and your little nose can peek it's out. A little tiny face. And then there are all of the girls just looking over him, <laughs> looking at this dumbass. I have started keeping like a digital diary on Canva and I put that in because it was just so funny. I, love I loved that. it so much. <laughs> that's really good wow and I thought it was so interesting them going into town and how town is one store at a beach it seems yeah. Yeah. and she's terrified of it like that is she's more terrified of civilization than she is <laughs> of wolves which is yeah. maybe like maybe logical maybe reasonable um and that's where this sort of resentment with mary at least that i saw it came in did you because yeah yeah it, because mary was like more comfortable mm-hmm. in the town setting do you mean yeah i think i think she's also you know like more the standards of beauty she gets yeah. like a her lollipop has more writing on it than <laughs> laura's which i i, I i'm sure is is very much what happens when you have siblings yeah is, totally yeah, um, I think you're right. I can't help but think about the scene in the Kira Knightley Pride and Prejudice movie when mm-hmm. they go to town and they're like buying ribbons too. And this is like a way stripped down version of that because I don't think anybody's getting ribbons in town. No. <laughs> it, it, it always makes me think of that. Yeah, there, I don't know where I had read it in other books, but I feel like our generation, everyone read at least one kids book where they're talking about calico and how it's so huge that mom gets a calico oh my god that is so true and i still don't fully know what calico is what it means what it looks like but i'm picturing like a rich indigo blue pattern situation Mm. i don't know um yeah yeah. i i came from a big cat family and i was like i know that cat's a cow yeah i don't (laughs) I don't really get it, but okay. Mom I'm going to look really... it up, actually. Yeah. Now, while we're sitting here, calico mm-hmm. dress. Let's see. Everything I've just pulled up is the ugliest thing I've ever seen in my entire <laughs> life. <laughs> um, I have to look. They, I don't fully understand. If, is calico the kind of the fabric that we're looking at? Cause, I think well, here, so. Here's one that slays a little bit. This is, why is this $425? Dear God. Oh, okay. Printed cotton fabric. Well, Ooh. all right. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. I guess, <laughs> sure. And I guess that is, like, the nice thing of, like, make it how you want it. Like, make it how you want Wait. Yeah. Okay. This is funny. What is calico? It's a heavy, plain woven textile. It may also contain unseparated husk parts. Husk parts in your dress. So that's kind of something. Man. To match your doll. Yeah. <laughs> corn doll, corn dress. Corn girl. When they're talking about harvest or like planting season and stuff, Pa says, a man just has to keep everlasting at it or the woods will take back the place. And wow. that feels like the essence of the book kind of. It's yeah. just like... That feels very um, manifest destiny, which is not mm-hmm. something that's really obviously that the the uh, sociopolitical implications of that are not explored in this yeah. book. Um, but that is such a funny idea that uh, the kind of the woods are for the taking. That's very frontiersman. All you have to do is like make sure that you keep at it. That's so interesting. Yeah. Um, I think I must have skipped over that. And that and that if you keep at it again, it's sort of like if you just do as you're told, all will be yeah. well. It's yeah. like it's. It is obviously an oversimplification, but also I would love it to be true. Yeah, 100%. Oh my God. I'm sure that my dad, who is like 
constantly hacking away at the grass in his front yard would also love that to be true yeah. <laughs> the final like paragraph took my breath away yeah. i i'm gonna read it because it uh, it deserves it when the fiddle had stopped singing laura called out softly what are the days of old lang sign pa they are days of a long time ago laura pa said go to sleep now but Laura lay awake a little while listening to Pa's fiddle softly playing and to the lonely sound of the wind in the big woods. She looked at Pa sitting on the bench by the hearth, the firelight gleaming on his brown hair and beard and glistening on the honey-brown fiddle. She looked at Ma gently rocking and knitting. She thought to herself, this is now. She was glad that the cozy house and Pa and Ma and the firelight and the music were now. They could not be forgotten, she thought, because now is now. It can never be a long time ago. That's so good. Mindfulness queen. Mindfulness yes. queen. Uh, I have yeah. chills. Like, oh, it is. That's really beautiful. Little House in the Big Woods is not like reinventing structure, reinventing yeah. storytelling. Like it's, it's just doing things well and earnestly and honestly. But that feels like metaphysical. That's, that's yeah. getting to like usually in the last three books I've done, you have to sort of like fish out little nuggets of like, this is, this is the moral, but here are other like lessons we can learn. Right. And that just like what to a hundred immediately. And I, I want to read scholarly essays about it. <laughs> Holy crap. It is beautiful. She's, she's an incredible writer and I, she does take you off guard. I think throughout, I'm excited for you to read the series so yeah. you can, we can talk about it. <laughs> but um, yeah, it is so beautifully written. And it also like, she tried to sell these books as as books for adults initially, mm -hmm. like you said. And I think that that shows in the way that it is like, I love these books so much as a kid, but now coming back to them as an adult, like the artistry of the writing is, is really something. It's not something that you see every day in this yeah. kind of fiction. Just the prose on its own. Like one thing I noticed, and I, I didn't pull quotes out of it, she describes people's eyes a lot. And it's yeah. always like glittering and sparkling and gorgeous. And I just yeah. like, she feels, <laughs> she seems to have a lot of love for the world, for yeah. all of it and for everything. And I that's so special and so wonderful. Yeah, that has really, um, I think that my taste has not changed all that much since I was reading this book because I still really love like naturalist texts that show that same thing. Um, I'm really on a real Barbara Kingsolver kick right now. Oh. If you've ever read her, um, just just read um, Demon Copperhead and that was wonderful. And I read, uh, oh gosh, the, the, the one with the green prodigal summer last year. I have that um, one, yeah. It's really beautiful and it's the same way. Like it's so wonderful when you find a writer who loves the world and the natural world so much mm -hmm. and the way that they describe it just like is so titillating. Wow. Yeah. Right. Please read it. It's so wonderful. Yeah, absolutely. I just finished tipping the velvet last night. Ooh. Um, do you know anything about it? No, huh? It's um late eighteen hundreds, um lesbians basically okay it's, um it's this girl who starts out as like her family gets oysters and she sees um uh, like a male impersonator just a girl like in basically vaudeville dancing as a boy and she falls in love they become partners she comes onto the stage as a male impersonator it's like whoa and she like goes through lots of highs and lows and different relationships and stuff and um and it's sort of like i think it's I'm queer and I think there is such an urge to like assign 21st century labels to the past because yeah. we're so starved for representation. So it's hard, like 
she, is she a lesbian? Is she trans? It's not really clear. And I think I like that about yeah. it. It's also fun because it was written in the 90s. So when she uses queer and gay in context, it is still accurate, but also she knows what she's doing. Yeah. And so she, it's, it was really fun. I'm, it was, it wasn't like the best book I've read this year, but I, really enjoyed it and I'm looking I'm looking for the next thing so maybe I'll do prodigal summer yay I also just finished Mrs. Caliban um which I would not consider a queer text uh although it I think it has been debated as such because it's about a housewife that falls in love with a mutant frogman um which is really fun it was written in 1984 uh yeah it's it's called Mrs. Caliban it's a novella so it's like 100 pages you can read it so quick um I would recommend that yeah It's, it's it's a really fun like poolside read but Mm -hmm. it is also a really interesting exploration of just all kinds of themes oh nice I started (laughs) um I started reading a biography of Norma Shearer last night she was a a classic Hollywood star um so I want to read that but I think like when I do nonfiction, it's nice to have a little a little fiction appetizer beside yes and this is like the perfect appetizer truly like it is you will read it in a day it's really quick I'm so excited that's so fun so I guess wrapping up how do you feel like was it as you remembered what changed how how do you feel having come out of this experience of reading yeah I did not expect for it to be as similar to to the way that I remembered it but it was it made me feel like almost exactly the same I read it in a time where I was feeling really overwhelmed after the book came out and needed like a little respite I think also a big theme of my book is like reconnecting with uh your your child self mm-hmm. and like reclaiming the things that you loved as a kid that you were kind of like taught not to love as you got older so it was so special to read that around that time um it was just really funny to like see different interpretations of things that like the wild uncle <laughs> that's, like, that's so funny um but yeah other than that I think that it is like a timeless text like I I loved it so much and I think it uh it has aged really beautifully yeah would you consider it required reading? Yeah, I think it should be for I sure. I think so too. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah. yeah. It's like at the very least for anxious adults or anxious yes. children. Like, it is such a nice place to spend some time. Yeah, it really is. Um, yeah. And it, you know, there's a lot of different texts that get into that era. Uh, also a, a big cold mountain fan. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I'd say that this one is a lot um this is politically neutral. This yes. is a, as a this is a children's book, and that can sometimes be really nice to read. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and just spend some time with with a, a world that is a lot less cynical and a lot more exactly earnest yeah and honest. Definitely, yeah. it is now. I love that. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Do you have anything you want to share or plug? Oh well, okay. So yes, I would love. Uh, everyone on Earth should buy my book and send me a million dollars. But uh, in in lieu of that, you can follow me on Instagram at Original Spinster. Uh, that's my handle. I'm also on Twitter at the same handle. And my book is called Everybody's Favorite. Um, you can buy it online from HarperCollins. You can get it from your local bookstore. I know it's in LA. I've had people. People send me pics from the bookstores. It's at Barnes and Noble. It's at Target. It's at everywhere you get your books. Um, and yeah, keep up with me on social media for my next project, which I'm really excited about. 